CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. The SEC came back and refiled again after a filing from Coinbase. Basically, they're going back and forth in court and they're just filing against each other. Yeah, adding documents to the lawsuit that is ongoing from the SEC against Coinbase, which was filed, I believe, back in February or March. This document in particular now responds to a Coinbase complaint that the SEC did not have uh, the right information to be able to go forward with their lawsuit, stating that, in fact, the uh, Coinbase filing originally pushed forward in 2021 to go public did not exempt them from the SEC overlooking their business at all. And also stating that Coinbase included in its documentation 2021, the fact that some of its assets that it would list on its website uh, and it's on its exchange would be liable to uh, purview by the SEC in the future. Um, so again, we have some more back and forth. We've seen the uh, SEC, we've seen Coinbase and others go on Twitter publicly talking about this. This, of course, is a little bit more important because they're putting these documents publicly into the debate. Jen, I'll throw it to you for your first take on this. As the hash legal consultant, I think there are valid arguments here on both sides. And that's why this case is going to be so interesting to watch. So the SEC says that Coinbase was operating as an unregistered broker, clearinghouse and exchange all in one go. I think that's going to be like an important part to uh, take note of as we follow this case. All the talk has been around you know, Coinbase operating as an unregistered security, but there are like lots of nooks and crannies and facets that are going to, I think, be crucial when we're following uh, the case here. I, what's interesting is in this filing, there's no mention in the article, at least, of Coinbase's mention of like they tried to speak to the SEC dozens of times. They didn't get the response that was required in order for them to operate in a in a way that was favorable to the SEC. And I don't see this mentioned here. So I feel like the next response we're going to hear from Coinbase is that, you know, we tried to talk to the SEC, we tried to get clarity here, and we weren't able to get it. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's my take on this. Wendy, what do you think? So I've been up since like four this morning. I'm a little (laughs) bit tired. And I agree with both of you on this matter. The thing that bothers me the most is that the headline, okay? It's a headline that's bothering me a bit. And the reason why is, is 
like if we don't have any type of guidelines put into place, how are people supposed to know? Like you can have an idea this might not be the right way to do it, but unless I can actually like go through and get a direct answer yes or no. Heck, I want to say that Brian Armstrong and Coinbase they tried to talk to Gary Gensler or talk to the SEC like 20 plus times back in 2022. And that entire time, Gary was meeting with people that are now actually in a lot of trouble for actually doing bad things. So it's just very frustrating because all of this going all in this back and forth, it's just costing taxpayer dollars. Like it's hurting retail. It's hurting the underdogs. It's hurting the exact people that they want, that they claim that they're protecting because they're actually wasting our money that we could be using that taxpayer dollar to invest correctly, safely. But we have no guidelines. So again... I'm rooting for Coinbase. I'm rooting for Ripple. I'm rooting for almost anybody the SEC is going after at this point because it doesn't seem that they are doing their job. Hmm. Yeah, the stuff here is a little confusing, right? Because we've seen so much back and forth. And I do think that it's fair that the SEC points out in the 2021 filing from Coinbase that they did state that some of the assets on their exchange could in the future be seen as uh, securities, and that would therefore be a liability or a problem for the business, right? So if you go back to the S1 that was filed in 2021, all these companies have to do this when they go public. They have to list all the things that possibly go wrong for them as a public company that could lead to a decline in the share value of the company once it's public. And they included this part as uh, as a contention or as something that could be be wrong with their business. And so it makes sense for them to include that at the time because a lot of people didn't know what these assets would be, if it'd be securities or not. But at the same time, now the SEC can go back and point at that. And so I think it's a really strong point in the SEC's favor here. Uh, that being said, I, I mean, I think we're most all a Coinbase side in this story. It's just that sometimes the facts don't really align with what you want. We don't pick sides on the news, I Will. I mean, I'm going to pick a side. <laughs> and I'm it actually going to interrupt you, you right now. And I want to tell you a personal story <laughs> that happened show. to me. Let me tell you something. Like anytime I bought or sold a house in California, you have to disclose. Disclose, 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 disclose. If there's a little crack, there's a little wood chip on the door, you disclose it. If there's a leaky faucet somewhere, you disclose it. If there's a little chip on the floor, you disclose it. Why do you do that? So people can't go back and say, hey, you didn't tell me this. The Coinbase was required to disclose anything possible that could have impacted them going public. So they did just because they listed this as a potential, you know, X, Y, and Z whatever, they did what they were supposed to do. It is not their fault that the SEC did not do their job. It's honestly just absolutely, utterly ridiculous at this point. Like, Do the best you can, disclose everything, and then you get in trouble for disclosing later. I know real estate law is completely different, but with real estate, you can't actually go after somebody if there was a plumbing problem and they said we had a leaky faucet and that's all that I know. But I know it's completely separate stuff. Just frustrating. I think that's that's exactly what's going to come back, Wendy, to to this narrative that Coinbase has been trying to talk to the SEC. Like, I, I think that just supports that. They're saying, you know, we know maybe some of these things can be securities. We're trying to work with you to figure this out. And they weren't able to figure it out. I think, Will, you mentioned it in your intro or near the top of the segment that the Ripple case might, once that is resolved, I think we're expecting a result there in September may help push this Coinbase thing along because we'll have, you know, another case decided and we'll be able to look look at that case and maybe apply some precedent here. But then we look at what happened with library and that's mentioned here. I think we're going to have all of this, this law to be able to apply all the learnings from all these different cases. And we're going to ultimately get a good outcome, but it's not going to be a s- smooth sailing there. Tuesday's top story. 
Okay, I will take the first story. Let's go talk about Arkham Research, which we talked about yesterday on The Hash, actually, and then the story blew up even more. Yesterday, we talked about how they're going to do uh, a new program to basically airdrop its token to users who are going to start sleuthing through on-chain data and identifying wallets of potential people out there who are doing um, trading or any sort of on-chain activity. And then the news continued to compound and snowball. A lot of people did not like the fact that they were going to start breaking down the online privacy walls of the blockchain world. And now we have news of today that there's been a few blunders in the implementation and rollout of their entire project. The biggest one being of which from Danny Nelson's story here, that the original referral links for Arkham uh, revealed the emails for people who were giving out these referral links in the first place, which is sort of a a no-no for personal privacy. Uh, This team is definitely under pressure right now from crypto Twitter. I haven't seen a live roasting of a project like this in a few months, but I think it sort of just kind of comes back to a few touchy subjects in crypto, the biggest one of which being you cannot reveal someone's privacy. You cannot dox somebody. Doxing is a huge deal within crypto. And this project, for, for many reasons, it seems it almost seems like a strategy, decided to lean into doxing people to get attention on its project. Wendy, I want to throw a story to you, get your take on it. Wow, wow, wow. It seems like the team of these people didn't really know what they were getting into. However, I do want to comment on the doxing thing. As far as crypto Twitter goes, they get to pick and choose who they dox and when they dox. And that's kind of an unspoken rule that nobody wants to talk about. But I'll say it because they've doxed me. They've tried to dox me and posted my personal information multiple times online. So shout out. But I think that we're trying to operate in a true decentralized economy, and we're going to see projects like this pop up. However, I feel like they did a lot of not good things um, by doxing people with the email and with the ref link and that type of stuff. Like it just, I mean, technically they can do this because it is a true decentralized economy, but at the same time, it's not really ethically something that should be done. However, people can simply search, you know, Etherscan, different blocks, et cetera. Um, to pull information if they want to. And we've seen that happen before. Things are going to get real, real quick for a lot of people. And this is just a friendly reminder, you should be using a separate email for every single exchange you use. It should be something that is not directly associated with you at all. And um, learn a little bit more about OPSEC because people are coming apparently to, you know, make some money off of you. Jen? Yeah, you know, so many of these Web3 products we talk about on the show are supposed to solve the problems that we experience in Web2. And, you know, a lot of Web2 companies do do this, tracking you via your email and your different movements um, around the internet. And Web3 is supposed to be different, right? That's the ethos we talk about so much on the show. So to read this is surprising, but to see the company getting roasted is not surprising for me. I love that Danny Nelson is just out here doing doing the real reporting, exposing the projects that need to be exposed. I know he didn't um, technically expose, expose this one. This was something that was revealed on Twitter, but I just want to turn this into a Danny Nelson uh, fan podcast, to be honest. I think it's important to remind people, though, when we talk about your email being exposed, some people might think like, oh, it's just my email. I put my email everywhere. I email a lot of people. Who cares if my email is out there? I think it's it's important to remind people that if your email has ever been a part of any data breach, all of the information you provided along with your email that was breached in whatever it was. And, you know, huge companies um, have been breached before. Governments have been breached. One of the ones that comes to mind is like Marriott Hotels, hundreds of thousands of people who attended Marriott Hotels. uh, Information was leaked in a hack years ago. 
all the information you provide with that email address can now be coupled together and, you know, sold to bad actors or given to bad actors or used by bad actors. And so I think that's an important part to bring up uh, as we talk about this story. Will? Yeah. So one note we have to make, the CEO did address this yesterday on Twitter saying that they had changed the program for the referral links and now it's encrypted. So going forward, they won't have this problem. And the excuse or the alibi they used earlier for why this had happened was that they were a smaller company and that they had this referral system in place uh, from a beta phase. And so they hadn't changed it beforehand. And now it's changed as they've they've grown tremendously. Uh, The one thing I want to go back to before we go on to the next story is sort of just talking about like the purpose of privacy in crypto and what these wallet uh, services do. There's a few out there. Nansen is probably one of the other most famous ones. And essentially, the idea is let's use the context of on-chain data to identify who is the owner of a wallet. And once you have the identity of wallet, it can sort of pair up with off-chain information. And then that can give you information about like, do I want to mimic the trading of this account, right? So take example of like a VC firm that has a prominent wallet, and maybe it's buying Bitcoin, or maybe it's buying Ethereum or another token. A lot of people will look at these wallets called whales, and they'll be like, hey, I want to mimic that person, or I want to time my trades with that person. And that's what these services do, like Arkham or Nansen and others do, is they provide context for trading. Issue here is that Arkham kind of kicked the hornet's nest by saying, we want everyone to be able to go and figure out who these wallets are, and we will actively promote giving you money to figure out who these people are by doxing them, as opposed to something like Nansen, which uses more probabilistic information and sort of does it in a, in a neutral, agnostic way. And I think that's the real difference here. And maybe it works out for Arkham because a lot of people are talking about them now, and certainly people will use them if it's a good product. But on the downside, right, you've done a lot of harm to your service and to your brand. So hopefully they can figure out the way around it. Wendy, last word? I just can't believe that they blamed it on them being a smaller company, like inexcusable, but people will most definitely use their product because if there's money to be made, got to do it. Jen, take over. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think they need to get ahead of this from a PR angle. Will, you you mentioned you can't remember the last time crypto Twitter came for a company like this. I think it was Ledger. And I think that Ledger handled that um, really well from a comms and PR perspective. Uh, I don't know what Arkham has done. I saw that there was a Twitter spaces before the show. So maybe maybe they're on top of it, but I'd like to see more. <laughs> but we can leave that. We can leave that story there. Wednesday's top story. Well, the drama must continue because it wouldn't be a Wednesday without drama. Some users report issues with accessing FTX claims portal online. So apparently the FTX claim portal went live and it went down after one hour. People are upset. However, the important key pieces here, users could access their account balances as of November 11th, 2022, which is going to be the probably one of the most infamous days that go down in crypto industry. And Portal is for customers who had accounts with FTX.com, FTX US, shout out to myself, Blockfolio, shout out to myself, <laughs> FTX EU, FTX JP, and Crypto Exchange Liquid. Customers need to file by September 29th. So I'm so happy that we actually covered this today because now I know that I can go file a claim. Yay, me. <laughs> well, Wendy, did you try to file a claim and you weren't able to? Like- Honestly, I'm not even paying attention. There's so there's bankruptcy here, bankruptcy there. We're all getting bankruptcies. I don't even know how much money I had on any of these exchanges at this point, just because I pretty much wrote it off as a loss, just like I did when I lost a lot of money on Cryptopia. But that's crypto for mm-hmm. you guys. 
will fight me. I have a few thoughts here. One is how much money do you think you're going to get back? And I'm not asking you for how much money you put in, but I, like a percentage would be interesting because I think it's going to be like pennies on the dollar for most people at best. We've, we've been taking a look at all the headlines from the FTX uh, group that's reworking the balance sheet right now. Uh, the team that is tasked with going through the chapter 11 process. And they've spent, no joke, tens of millions of dollars in order to get this off the ground. I think the total is over $100 million at this point, just combing through the various documentation uh, that charges per hour are astronomical, which I guess lawyers do that. So it happens, but it doesn't help people out like Wendy or others who lost money on FTX and now are going to get even less money back because the process takes so long. We've seen this in the past with Mt. Gox, Quadriga, CX, all these Chapter 11 cases involving exchanges, they take forever because there is a pile of different people who all want money from this failed business. Uh, you have to start with the debtors, then into the creditors, and then you have to go into like, the equity groups. And a lot of times people get washed out. And if they're, they're lucky, if they get something out of it at all. Jen? Yeah, this story makes you recall the entire FTX saga. So Will, like you said, the lawyers are charging astronomical amounts. I think it's like upwards of $2,000 an hour, some even more than John J. Ray III's hourly rate. But then we also heard that um, FTX's new leadership is trying to claw back some of the funds. I don't remember the exact uh, dollar amount, but we heard that two people who are very well connected with politicians, celebrities, influencers charged millions of dollars and they were paid. That money is trying to come back under the FTX umbrella so it can be uh, redispersed. But Will, I think you're right. You know, uh, people may not get all of the funds or may not even get a large fraction of the funds that they put onto the platform. But I think, I, I think it's just part of the process, right? People want to feel like something is being done about the wrong that that has been done. Like even if a little bit can be righted, I, I think the psychological piece there is important to point out. I don't know. Maybe, Wendy, you proved me wrong because you said you're just following the story and you don't really care. You've just written off your losses. I just think the psychological piece of going in and filing a claim and feeling like steps are being made can help people who were probably feeling down about this. FTX 2.0 might be a thing that happens and there might be other solutions. There might be other ways for people to participate in some kind of equity or get back a little bit more then will what you were saying if FTX 3.0 ever becomes a thing. Jen, are you our, our our legal expert on the hash or our therapist on the hash? Because it depends on like, the day. Depends no, on the day. You know, I'm sometimes just, we gotta get into our feelings and sometimes we just gotta state the facts. I like that. I like that. I appreciate you that for that. But honestly, you guys, we're lucky if we get back like 30%. Look what happened with Voyager. Bankruptcies are very expensive. They're generally meant to protect the company, not the actual clients or the people that got hurt from what I've seen over this whole debacle. And I feel like FTX, they owe a lot of other, like with the Three Arrows Capital and the Celsius and the Voyager and the BlockFi and every single crypto company out there, I feel like FTX is a creditor or debitor to them somehow, some way, shape or form. So it's like just such a big co-mingling of funds. Like who even knows what is going to happen? Who's going to get what back? This case is absolutely massive. Um, it's a lot bigger than the other chapter 11s that we've seen recently. And I feel like the only reason to go in there and file a claim is to potentially hope to get something back and then I'll pay your taxes. But it's also going to be interesting to see how many U.S. 
users are going to be claiming funds from FTX International and if they get those back, because technically, per the terms of service, that was a big no-no. Wendy, I think you should file so you can talk us through the journey on the show. Maybe I've you could do like mail filing. I'm so- <laughs> How would I give big you my login and you do it for me? Audio. I'm done. As the, okay. show, as the show's therapist, I will help okay. you through this. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.